Welcome, friends, to the Miles with Marty podcast. This is home base for running community love, and we're sponsored by Squirrels Nut Butter. Spread the lube, and your blister and chafing problems will go away. You can thank me later. Hello, world, and welcome to the Miles with Marty podcast. Yes, I know I say this all the time, but I'm saying it again. I've got a really good one in store for you today. This is episode 43, and it's a Western States preview episode. That's right, the Western States Endurance Run, 100 miles in a day. I've got special guests with me today, Andy Jones Wilkins, who is a writer for I Run Far. He's a badass ultra runner that's run Western States 10 times, seven top 10 finishes in a, in a row, too, I believe. Also, I've got race director Craig Thornley, who has also run Western States nine times, uh, all of them but one were under 20 hours, so he, he, they both know the course, they know the field, they are both very passionate about this race and this ultra running community, and uh, do not take lightly the reverence that everyone holds this race in, and so uh, they are very passionate guests and very well versed in talking about western states, and it was just an honor and a pleasure for me to get to talk to them. Before I jump into my interviews, I'll just catch you up on a few current events. This past weekend, me and my buddy Jim Miller completed the Miami 50-50. It was an awesome urban ultra down in Miami that started at Hero Martial Arts, which is a business owned by the race director, Louis Coco, of Running Ninja Events, I believe, and these also leads the Miami Ultra Runners. We came in 14th place, which I don't know if that's respectable or not for a couple of old geezers, but we didn't die, and we did finish under cutoff by over an hour, so we'll take that. It was very hot. Overall winners were Ramon Palomo and Mark Bergette. They were called Clan Elder. They took first place overall with a course record of 8 hours and 34 minutes. Wow, that was impressive with all the traffic crossings that you had to do and with all that heat and humidity just super impressive second overall and first female was team we love scarlet with karen lebetsky and Pornian hernandez they came in at 1104 second place female and third overall was the palm city chicas team of lila provost and sandy v burris second place male was el gato rebelde that was David Drekski and Phil Nams. Third place males suffer for fun, which is John de Blasi and Jose Atero. And last but not least, third place female, my good friend Special K, Katie Pierce Cook and Katrina Pelican. Lots of awesome friends ran the race, beautiful scenery, great volunteers, uh, just really enjoyed it couldn't recommend it any higher. I just loved it. Starting today is the last annual Heart of the South race, and uh, i got a couple of friends that are running in it. want to give them a shout out and wish them best of luck. Joey Lichter and Michael Babb. Okay, enough talk. Let's jump right into the interview with Andy Jones Wilkins. I hope you enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Miles with Marty podcast. I've got Andy Jones Wilkins on the line. And man, what a pleasure. Andy is a uh, badass ultra runner. 
He's also a columnist uh, for I Run Far, and I think he does some other columns. We'll hear about that. He's a running coach, uh, a podcaster, and uh, super passionate about our sport and about uh, the Western States endurance run. And uh, so I wanted to try to talk to Andy before their big race coming up in a few weeks and uh, also hear a little bit of his story, too. So welcome, Andy. Oh, Marty, thanks for having me. Uh, This is the best time of year. It's June. Yeah, it's like Christmas for people like us, right? It certainly is. It certainly (laughs) is. Yep, I love it. Well, I can, you know, I have a lot of people in my, of my listeners that are fairly new to the sport. So I'll give them that pass and, and you preface it this way, but just for the people who don't know your history, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? You know, like your, you know, what got you into ultra running and, you know, I could sit here and give your, uh, ultra sign up i know about the western states finishes and all but just give us you know a a quick rundown of what got you into where you are right now well it's uh thanks for asking it was actually in the early 90s um my wife and i uh would we went on we were teachers so we had the summers off and we would ride our bicycles in various places we rode across the united states twice and did tours in various places went up to alaska one year and, uh, and I, every time I went on one of those trips, I, I came back in really good shape. And then I spent the winter getting out of shape. So I was talking, I was working at a school at the time and I was talking to the cross country and track coach. He said, well, why don't you try running? So we lived in Philadelphia and I, there was a little trail system, uh, Valley green, right, right next in the Wissahickon, right next to where we lived. And I started running down in there and kind of caught the bug, uh, you know, ran, uh, started running marathons and, Qualified for Boston, and then then moved out moved out to Arizona, where I live now, in uh, in 1996. And uh, they even back then have had an incredible uh, network of trails, just right easy access to the city. And and there were all these old salty dogs out here, still are these desert dogs who would just do long runs out in the desert trails. And they kind of took me under their wing, and I started training with them and running with them, and uh, and just loved it. And then. Life, life kind of moved along and we ended up out in the San Francisco Bay Area starting in 2001. And I mean, that still is, but back at the time, it was like the hotbed of trail and ultra running. And of course, it's just a couple hours uh, down the road from Auburn where Western States is. And so pretty much everybody ran in the Bay Area, ran trails, either ran Western States, crude, paced. And, uh, and so I kind of just got the bug and, uh, I ran my first hundred, not at Western States, at Angeles Crest in 2000, but then ran my first Western States in 2001, took a couple of years off of running Western States, and then kind of ran off a string of seven top 10 finishes there, which was great because I kept, I was able to keep coming back every year. So 2004 through 2011, I got top 10 every year and then got dropped out of the top 10, but was able to get my ninth and 10th finishes there. Uh, into 2013 and 2014 and and have been going back to run uh, to, to volunteer and help out and be part of the western state scene uh, ever since I, I've also run you know kind of all the big hundreds of Vermont a bunch of times and uh, Wasatch and Leadville and um, uh, Hard Rock a couple of times I've never run over in Europe but I've you know I've run most of the big kind of well-known hundreds and I just uh, have become kind of passionate about the sport. And now that I'm older and not, not, you know, in the competitive side of things anymore, I, 
I still enjoy getting out there and and enjoying the camaraderie of the trails. But uh, it's really it's really become kind of a home for me, a uh, place I feel most at home in the ultra running community. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I just want to point out, it's very humble the way you described it, but a lot of those were not just finishes. I mean, you were, you were, had some super impressive times in some of those uh, races, like your best time at States was what, like right there at 16 hours? Just uh, 16, 16 and a half yeah. uh, in, in 2011. And then, uh, and then I did have a, a great year in, in 2005 when I finished second place um, to Scott Jurek, he, you know, he was, he was dominated that race back then. And, uh, so I finished uh, about 20, 25 or 28 minutes or so after him, but there was no one between him and me. And that <laughs> felt pretty good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's awesome. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I had some, I had some good races and I also, I, I mentioned Vermont. I, I won the Vermont 100 three times. That's even though I love, love, love Western States, that Vermont 100 course just, it really played to my strengths for all those years because it was kind of always going up or down. Uh, you're never really having long climbs, uh, but you're always going up and down. And it's uh, a lot of it's on those nice rolling uh, dirt and gravel roads of Vermont. So I've always, always loved going to that race. Yeah. I've got some really good friends up there. So I'll probably end up there at some point myself, hopefully. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's And it's real even though it's, you know, one of the, one of the big races on the circuit, Amy, Amy Ruzicki is the race director. She does a, does just a fantastic job maintaining the, the spirit of the race. You run with the horses. It's a horse race and a running race concurrently, and they get volunteers back year after year. It's, it's just, it's just wonderful. Yeah. So is there any connection with that and Western States for you personally that, you know, with the, with the States starting with it being a, a horse race. Does that have anything to do with it? <laughs> well, a little bit. I mean, the the difference, of course, is that the races, the, the Tevis Cup horse race, uh, which is on the Western States Trail, you know, takes place, you know, about a month uh, or a month or two even after Western States itself. So while horse, while the horse and people kind of share the trail, it's really different in Vermont because, I mean, the horses, you know, you're literally running with them. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I do think, you know, Old Dominion is out in Virginia, started in 1979, and they had a horse component for a long, long time. You know, I think horse people were doing 100 milers a lot a lot longer before people were, um, <laughs> and they're still still kind of a popular sort of subculture of those long-distance horseback rides. So as far as states goes, and you obviously have some passion about that particular race, Back, you said your first one was what year? Uh, 2001, I ran it Mm -hmm. for the first time. So 22 years ago now. Now, did you you get in via a lottery? Did they have a lottery then? Yeah, they did. Uh, 2001, believe it or not, uh, you typically had uh, about a 50-50 chance of getting in um, in the lottery. Uh, And they also had a policy, um, which they quickly outgrew when the sport became so popular, but they had something called a two-time loser policy, where mm-hmm. if you if you tried to get in in the lottery and lost two years in a row, you were automatically in for the third year. Hmm. Uh, and so that was how I got in in 2001. Yeah. Um, then in in 2000, and, and then as I said, I, I took a couple of years off. That's when I ran Vermont. I ran Vermont and Angeles Crest two more times in 2002, 2003, and in large part because I, I really felt like I 
needed to figure out how to run a hundred miler, figure out the nutrition, figure out the pacing, figure out the training before I went back to Western States. And I had a really, really good race at Angeles Crest in 2003, got second place and, and the race director called and invited me to, to run Western States that they were able to do that back then. You know, there wasn't, it wasn't as competitive. So the race director would often look at, you know, runners and see where they were having success. And if they had good, strong finishes and races, he might give them a call and see if they were interested in coming to Western States. So that was how it happened with me. And then at that point, the top 10 streak just started. Uh, yeah. And and then, as, as I think most of the listeners know, even to this day, if you get in the top 10, you get invited back the, the next year. I should tell you, though, because some people are confused about this. You still have to pay the entry fee. Uh, some people <laughs> think if you get the top 10, they let you in for free. Nope. <laughs> nobody, nobody gets in Western States for free. <laughs> and that's only right because it's it's worth yeah, every penny. It's right. only right. It's worth every penny. So uh, what year, about what year did it kind of blow up to where the odds really shot up as far as getting in the lottery? Do you- Man, it really, it really happened through my career there. Even, you know, I would say around 2010, it got to the point where they, uh, where they realized they were going to have to create some sort of procedure um, where you couldn't just, you know, they couldn't have you know, 1% and 2% chance of everybody getting in. So, uh, so that was when they started the multiple lottery tickets. And uh, and then a few years after that, uh, when Craig Thornley became the race director, they really began to tighten up the cutoff races. Um, it didn't necessarily reduce the numbers, but, you know, there was a time 15, 20 years ago, you could run any 50 miler in the country as a Western States qualifier, as long as you <laughs> finished it under under a certain time. I forget what the time was. So. Uh, you know, they, they knew that they needed to um, tighten up the qualifying standards. And, and so really the boom of the boom of 2010, when you had uh, the, the famous now famous book Born to Run came out, uh, Dean Carnassus, uh, ultra marathon man came out and and the film Unbreakable, which uh, documented the 2010 Western states, uh, you know, hit the mainstream. And uh, people just and and it was also I mean let's face it it was when you know YouTube and and uh, and the internet were really exploding and people could see you know you know romantic visions of Anton Kupichka running across mountainsides with a with a, with no shirt on and they're <laughs> like I want to do that and you know so it really it really led to the boom and and at that point it exploded but but the, you know Western states organizers have done a really good job of of uh, balancing balancing tradition with innovation, uh, which is part of their mission, you know, so there's still ways for veterans to get into the race. Uh, and, uh, and also they really, really do a good job with people like myself coming back to volunteer every year. So when you, when you, when you run Western States, you can count on, you know, at all the aid stations, there's going to be someone who, who knows the trail, who knows how to help you. If you're having trouble, uh, it's probably run the race a bunch of times and they'll get you down the trail. So that's really where the experienced veterans at Western States, uh, you know, come back year after year now. Yeah. So do you have any plans to try to get back in the lottery to run it ever again? Nope. Nope. I'm, I'm finished. I, I, I feel as though 10, 10 times. I mean, I don't, I don't think there'll be that many people who get to run it 10 times even anymore. So I feel as though I, I had my 10, I'm not, I've had two runs at hard rock too. I'm, 
I'm not going to try to run that one again either. I got to do it in both directions. I think there's so many people who want to get in with the lottery and it's such a once in a lifetime experience. And, and, and frankly, Marty, I get great joy uh, out of going out there and volunteering. Um, you know, I, I just was up there at the Memorial Day weekend training runs uh, yeah. and vo- volunteered at, at an aid station and, uh, you know, was out on the course, you know, cheering people on, making sure the course markings were, no one was messing with the course markings. And, and on race day this year, you know, I'll, I'll go up and take part in all the pre-race festivities. There's an international, a, a special picnic, kind of barbecue picnic for that the that the race puts on for all of the all of the international runners coming to Western States. This year they're runners coming from 50 different countries. Wow. So on the Wednesday on the Wednesday before the race, Bob Crowley and a staff put on a big old barbecue, you know, American style, you know, barbecue, coleslaw, beans, you know, uh dinner uh for all the international runners. And so I'll go to that. They're they're always looking for people to you come and you know hobnob with the international runners and and then I'll go on up to Olympic Valley and and enjoy the pre-race festivities and and then go out on the course on race day. You know, I'll help out. I'll help out parking cars uh, at Robinson Flat. People are always surprised, like, "Oh my God, that's AJW parking cars!" You know. <laughs> and then uh, and then I'll go to Michigan Bluff where I I as we were talking before we came on, where you're going to be. Uh, uh, Tanya Olson is a dear dear friend of mine. Been coming to. Um, coming to uh, Western States for years and years and years, uh, working on people's feet at Michigan Bluff, mile 55. It's a place where really, if you're going to have bad, if you, if you need foot care, that's a place you're going to need it. <laughs> and then I'll just, uh, you know, I'll just enjoy the rest of the day and go down to the finish line. But uh, no, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to run it again. I've had my, I've had my time. I love getting out on the course. You know, I love getting out running a few miles or maybe if someone needs a pacer some year or something like that. But um, I, 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 I love the event and, you know, hopefully I'll, they'll have me back every year. As long as, as long as they'll have me, I'll keep going. Yeah. Right. So let's look, just take a look at the race in a little bit. Like let's kind of go through the course from the start line, if you don't mind. And just, you know, like I said, I have watched every single documentary there is about that race and I've done everything, but be there in person and just can't wait to be there in a couple of weeks. But uh, just for our listeners, kind of go through the course, and I know how you know at the start it's a it's a it's an uphill little run. What's that about a five k run that they do up that hill to start? Yeah, a little bit longer, almost almost four miles to the top. The uh, and this year they'll probably have a mile or so of snow uh, as they get as they crest it. I, I like to I like to break the course down with the athletes that I'm coaching that are in Western states. I like to break the course down into four sections you you can break it down into more sections than that but that could be a little bit overwhelming um and those those sections are are 30 first ones and I'll, I'll go through them but first one's 30 miles and the next one's 32 miles the one after that's 18 and then there's a 20 mile section so the first one from the start as you said you're at the base of a ski mountain and you just run to the top of the ski mountain it's about four miles and then you crest that ski mountain and you're in the high country you're at the highest point on the course mile four, uh, 8,800 feet, you enter the Granite Chief Wilderness at that point. Um, many people, you know, often have wondered why the Western States 100 has a cap of uh, 369 runners. And one of the reasons is they go, they go through a wilderness area between mile five and mile 11. Uh, they're in a full government regulated wilderness area where, where technically there's, you're not allowed to have any organized events. 
Uh, but they grand they got grandfathered in. They went all the way to the United States Senate to appeal to have their event grandfathered in for this one day that they can run through uh, the Granite Chief Wilderness. So beautiful wilderness up there. This year there will be snow. It's very wet. Uh, there's a lot of kind of bogs that you have to run through. There's sections where water just runs right down the trail. Uh, there's a few sections of beautiful views. And then you get to the first aid station at Lion Ridge. Uh, they may end up bringing supplies in uh, via snowcat or helicopter this year to Lion Ridge. Uh, between Lion Ridge and Red Star Ridge is a six mile section. You're literally running along the ridge of the, you know, the ridge of the Sierra Nevada. It's a beautiful, beautiful section. It's a little drier. There's some parts where it ducks, ducks in and out. Sometimes it's on two tracks. Sometimes it's on a single track. You get to Red Star Ridge, mile 16. And then you have a long section, about eight miles to Duncan Canyon aid station. You got it. That's where that's where you're going to start to know if it's going to be a warm day. So far, you've been above 7000 feet. You're not really you're not really going to feel the heat yet. But between mile 16 and mile 24, you're going to start feeling the heat. The, the trail's going to warm up. And then after Duncan Canyon, you're going to go another six miles to the Robinson Flat aid station at mile 30, which is the end of this first large section. Your crew can see you there. Uh, it's very it's very triumphant. Uh, and you're you know, at that point, you 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 basically run a 50k, and yeah. you kind of know you kind of know what temperature is going to be like. You kind of know if it's going to be a hot day or not. You know, you know you know how your feet feel. You know how you're adapting to the altitude. So you get a real sense of where you are at that uh, that Robinson Flat aid station. Okay. Leaving Robinson Flat, uh, you only have a few more miles of snow. You crest over to the other side, which is called the dry side of the ridge. In typical years, it's hotter there, kind of dustier. And you make your way on a nice long downhill, first through Miller's Defeat Aid Station at 34, then through Dusty Corners Aid Station at 38, and finally uh, to the Last Chance Aid Station at mile 43, when you begin the 19-mile traverse of probably the most infamous section of the Western States course, which is known as the canyons. Uh, the canyons are three canyons, El Dorado, Deadwood, and Volcano. Um, they, they get less steep. The steepest canyon is Deadwood Canyon, two miles down, across the Swinging Bridge, two miles up to Devil's Thumb. Everyone's heard of Devil's Thumb, mile 47. From there, you have a five-mile descent, beautiful, beautiful five-mile descent, all the way down to El Dorado Canyon, uh, where you cross another bridge and then begin a two-and-a-half-mile, not as steep, but still hard, climb up to the old mining town of Michigan Bluff, which is at mile 55. We just mentioned Tanya will be waiting to, to work on your feet there. Your crew can meet you here again. So they've seen you at mile 30. Now they can see you again at mile 55. Um, Michigan Bluff is a great place. They, they've got burgers for sale uh, to benefit local Boy Scouts. Um, there's usually an announcer there. Uh, there's popsicles. Uh, there's, as we've talked about, there's foot care. In fact, there's full medical care if you need it at Michigan Bluff. Uh, and then you have a seven mile section through the third canyon, which is Volcano Canyon. At the end of that, you make a triumphant run into the Forest Hill aid station. It's uh, 62 miles exactly. 
this is where it feels like you're back in civilization. There's cars, there's stores, there's music playing. There's you know, literally hundreds and hundreds of people. Uh, this is where spectators come to watch. Uh, and you've done 100K. And, and you've completed the first two sections. So you've completed the high country and you've completed the canyons. And you begin, as I mentioned, an 18-mile section, a third section, which is called California Street or Cal Street for short, which is a 16-mile gradual downhill from about 3,200 feet, all on beautiful single track, from about 3,200 feet all the way down to about 600 feet where you cross the American River. Most people have seen the videos uh, of the runners either going across on a boat or going across on foot, holding onto a rope. It's about a, it takes, you know, it's about a hundred yards to cross the river, about the length of a football field. It's, it's cold. Some years it's deep. Um, and you get across there. It's called the Rocky Chucky River Crossing. You can see your crew there. And then you have a two mile climb straight out of the river basin uh, up to Greengate which there's eight miles at mile 80 exactly. And now you've finished the third section. So for most runners, it's gotten dark on the way down to the river. Uh, you're able to have a pacer at this section. You can have a pacer starting at Forest Hill. Uh, so you're transitioning from the, the hot of the day to the cool of the night. Sometimes this is invigorating. You get yourself cooled off in the river. You have the two mile climb up to, uh, up to Greengate. And now you just have 20 miles to go. And here's the secret. That 20 miles is perhaps the most runnable section of the course. There are, it rolls and kind of darts in and out of little creek crossings here and there. But but for the most part, from Green Gate all the way to the town of Auburn, you know, you're you're most of the climbing is done. You're just you're bopping along, you're the trail is smooth, it's it's cooled off at night. There's there's aid stations every few miles. You go through Auburn Lakes trails, then you get to Quarry Road, then you get to um, the uh, Pointed Rocks aid station, and finally uh, Ruby Point, which is just a mile and a half from the finish. Your crew can all come out and meet you there and, and jog in, make that triumphant jog in down the roads of Auburn and then into the stadium at Placer High School and around the track for that where you hear John Ranger's voice and you uh, make that triumphant crossing of the finish line and you are a Western States finisher. So four sections, very distinct, high country, canyons, California street, lots of runnable single track. And uh, you really do, uh, as, a, as the legendary Ann Trayson liked to say, live a lifetime in a day running Western States. Wow. Love it. And I could just put that on replay and just listen to that and just, <laughs> it's like listening to the symphony. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I, I, listeners might wonder, I, I don't have any notes in front of me. That's memorized. <laughs> I, I can tell. I can tell. I love it. I love to talk to people that are passionate about what they do. There's nothing. And just, you mentioned, you, I have written about it. I've written several, if, if, if listeners are interested, maybe they're in Western states or they're going to, going to see the race this year. I, I write a weekly column on irunfar.com. And if you just Google AJW's Taproom Western States, you can find court various times I've written course descriptions and times the course has changed. I should say this year, this year we're in for something interesting. I've talked a couple of times about the snow, but also as listeners might know, there was a big fire on the Western States course called the Mosquito Fire back in September. 
fortunately, uh, the course has survived it. Uh, and they've done a ton of trail work to get it ready. But there are 16 miles of trail, uh, basically from the second canyon that I described, El Dorado Canyon, all the way to about five miles into Cal Street, where there's virtually no shade, where the trees, and, and there, there'll be shade in a few years, but right now the trees have been burned. And so it's going to be a little bit hotter, a little bit more exposed. It'll it'll be it'll behoove runners to be a little bit more careful through those burn sections than they have than they have than they maybe have in the past when there's been more shade. Yeah. So speaking of the runners now, so let's talk a little bit about the field this year. Do you have some names in your head that you expect to be up there in the top ten? I do. I do. And and I, uh, a little I think an important headline is actually for the second year in a row. <clears throat> neither neither on the men's side or the women's side is the defending champion returning. Uh, Adam Peterman, who won the race last year, is, is, has an injury. And, and um, Ruth Croft, who won the women's race, uh, is, is focusing her attention on, on UTMB. So anytime there's defending champions not returning, there's, uh, there's a lot of, you know, kind of drama and excitement about, you know, who's going to win. I've got to give the clear uh, favorite on the women's side to Courtney DeWalter. Uh, she won the race back in 2018. Uh, and I think anytime Courtney DeWalter is in, in, a, in any race, uh, she's got to be considered a, a favorite to win. Um, I also think, however, she is going to get a run for her money uh, by a couple other key runners. First, Katie Scheid, who is an American who lives a fair amount of time in Europe, who won uh, the women's UTMB last year, uh, and Devin Yanko, who has run Western States before and is coming off an incredible qualifying run at the Havelina 100, where she won and set the course record and has also had a great uh, tune-up season. There are three other runners on the women's side, all veterans and former top 10s or repeating top 10s. Um, Actually, four of them, Keely, uh, Keely Henninger, Leah Yingling, Katie Asmuth, and Emily Hawgood. So all of them top teners, either last year or in the recent, in the case of Keely, in the, in the recent past. Young, kind of up-and-comers. Keely got a golden ticket finish at, at Black Canyon. Leah was in the top 10 last year. Katie uh, and Emily, I believe, is the highest-ranking returner from last year. She was fifth place last year. Intriguing story of Heather Jackson, uh, a global superstar on the triathlon ranks, uh, is running the race this year. And Taylor Nolan, a top tenner last year and sentimental favorite, former winner of the race uh, from 2016, Casey Lichtai. So if I were to just give a quick top 10 on the women's side, Courtney, Katie, Devin, Keely, Leah, Katie, Emily, Heather, Taylor, and Casey. I'm leaving out some names as you do every year, but you've got to you got to narrow the top ten down yeah. somewhere. on On the men's side, no defending champions, several returners. My money's on a really intriguing runner from Ohio, Arlen Glick. Uh, finished third place last year, then went and finished second place at Run Rabbit Run. Has been training on the course. For two and a half weeks, he's still out there for a couple of more days. Next up is Dakota Jones, who, like Devin, 
had a scintillating run, course record run at um, uh, Havelina, and first person ever to go under 13 hours at Havelina. And then a local runner, will, I've got picked for third, Cole Watson. He's a Auburn, uh, Auburn runner, and he uh, found his way into the race with a dominating uh, finish at um, the Canyons 100K, uh, which runs along part of the Western States course. Hayden Hawks, second last year. Some people would say putting him fourth is probably too low, and I might be proven wrong on that. Matt, two, two international runners, Mathieu Blanchard, who was second to Killian Jornet and UTMB last year, and Tom Evans, who uh, is just a fascinating and uh, very disciplined British runner. Cody Lind, uh, he's already had two top tens, comes from the legendary Western States Lind family. His grandfather, Bob, was the longtime medical director, shot off the shotgun to start the race every year, and this to this day, uh, Cody's dad, Paul, uh, now shoots the shotgun and, and Cody joins him, stands there next to him and then tucks into the race and starts running. Tyler Green, multiple time top five finisher in eight. Anthony Castales with a fantastic uh, run at Black Canyon for ninth. And Jeff Colt, who punched his golden ticket at uh, Bandera, is my 10th selection. So, um, you know, uh, you can't hide at Western States anymore. It's highly competitive. These guys are all shooting for the win. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how, how it plays out. So many intriguing stories with the snow, the impact of the fire, and, uh, and how that all plays out. So we, will, we shall see. Yeah. But, uh, but th- those are my top 10. Awesome. Now, did you have notes for that? <laughs> yes, I did. Yes, I did. <laughs> I was going to say, damn, that is impressive. <laughs> All right. Well, so let's move from one end to the other then. Uh, one one part of it that is um, super, inter- I don't know what the word is, powerful for me is that golden hour. Can you talk a little bit about that, about being there in person and experiencing that and, and uh how you know the how the runners kind of embrace those people that have been out there fighting for thirty hours? Yeah, yeah. The the, the golden hour uh, for the listeners who don't know that the, the um, golden hour is is the last hour of the race. the The race has a has a, a hard and strict uh, thirty hour cutoff, and so basic and, and that's at eleven a.m. on Sunday morning. So so beginning at ten a.m. On Sunday morning at the Placer High School track is the golden hour. Um, it's uh, it you can feel the energy in that stadium when the clock strikes ten on race morning. The uh, the bleachers in the in the football stadium that have that have largely been empty, uh, you know, overnight. Slowly, you know, from seven, eight, nine slowly begin to fill up. Uh, and by 10 o'clock that morning, they're, they're just about full as, as people from town and people from uh, spectators and crews and maybe runners who finished the night before have gotten a little sleep and are coming back. Uh, the bleachers begin to fill and, and the runners begin to stream in. If you, if you walk up the road uh, all the way up to Roby Point, which is mile 88.9 of the course, there's usually a big party going on. Uh, there are families out in their homes 
along the streets of Auburn with sprinklers or with uh, coolers full of soda and, uh, you know, signs cheering the runners on. And, um, and as that hour goes past, uh, the frequency of runners hitting the track uh, increases. And now it's 10.15 and there's five or six more runners on the track. And, and mind you, these runners have been going all night and now it's 10.30 in the morning. It's getting hot again. Uh, you're right. So they've had they had the hot of all day Saturday. Now it's starting to heat up again on Sunday. So then it gets to 1030 and you realize, all right, now there's half an hour to go. And usually, usually, you know, at that point, how many people, how many people have cleared the last cutoff? There's a cutoff at Pointed Rocks Aid Station, which is 94.7. And if runners clear that, uh, that means they're technically in range of making it to the track, but not all of them make it. Uh, and so you, it'll, it'll sort of, you know, kind of go through the crowd that there are still 32 runners out there. I'm just picking a number, 32 runners out there between, between pointed rocks and here, 32 runners still on their way to the track and they filter in and they filter in and they filter in and you get to 1045. And by that point, nine, you know, by, by that point, you're going to have to take 15 minutes to run 1.3 miles. So if they haven't cleared Roby Point, they're probably not going to make it. Usually Tim Tweetmeyer, the legendary 20-time finish, 25-time finisher of Western States, goes up to Roby Point and starts, you know, cheering the runners in. Um, and then the energy in the crowd really begins to ramp up and runners come in and runners come in. And now it's, you know, it's a steady stream. You know, the announcer can barely keep up with the, with the number of runners coming in. And usually with five minutes to go, four minutes to go at that point, John Medinger says, if you can, if you are within the sound of my voice, you better run. Uh, and you usually, and there's people running up the road to see if there's anyone left. And, and by gosh, there have been some dramatic finishes, perhaps the most dramatic of all, uh, Spokane, Washington based Gunhild Swanson in 2015, uh, went around the track and finished with six seconds to spare 59 she finished in 29, 59, 54. Wow. Uh, and she was running sub thir- sub 730 pace uh, when wow. she hit the track <laughs> <laughs> and she's 70 years old. She, she probably hadn't been running sub 730s for a while. So yeah, if, if I say to anybody and, and Marty, I hope you get a chance when you're, when your shift is over, uh, up at, uh, Michigan bluff, I, I hope you get a chance. Cause Tanya usually comes down and does foot care at the finish line too. I hope you get a chance to come down and, and witness the golden hour because for anybody who asks me, ah, what is all the hype about Western States? What's it all about? What is, what's a big deal about it? I, I don't, you know, it's just a race. I would say you're, you're right. There's lots of races, but if you want to see what Western States is all about, just show up, get your coffee and show up at 10 in the morning on the fourth Sunday in June and watch for an hour. And I bet you'll know at that point what Western States is all about. Yeah. Well, I would not miss that for the world. I promise you that I will be there. <laughs> good, good. It's, it's, uh, it's well worth it. It's, uh, and by the way, when that, when this clock strikes 11, you're just exhausted, you're exhausted from cheering and the emotion and everything. It's just, uh, 
it's a good exhausted. And, uh, you know, there's people laying off people laying out on the laying out on the football field and trying to get any little bit of shade they can and soaking their feet. And, and then of course, an hour and a half later, they hand out all the belt buckles and, uh, and, uh, and they close up shop for another year. There's nothing like it. So do you have any favorite memories just looking back on times that you ran it or were there volunteering that just kind of stand out for you? other than what you've already talked about? Well, I, um, I've been, I've, I had a John Medinger. I've mentioned his name a couple of times, the former publisher of ultra running magazine, long time, long time board member of Western States and is the finish line announcer. Uh, and basically he sits up there with his wife, Lisa, uh, you know, starting, uh, when the, when the winter comes in, which these days is usually around eight o'clock at night. Um, all the way till, uh, you know, 11 o'clock the next morning. And about 15 years ago or so, or 12 years ago, he asked me, you know, he's like, look, AJW, I need to take a break every, uh, you know, I need to take a break for a couple of hours. I wonder if you'd be interested in coming up and just announcing for a couple hours, you know, from, and I usually announce from 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. So after the 24 hour people have finished um, until about mile, about the 26 hour people. And then John, John usually just takes a little nap and walks his dog and, you know, and then brings, brings Lisa and I and the rest of the group up there some coffee and we, we talk about stuff. So one year, one year, 20, I want to say 17, I was down at the river crossing uh, at, uh, you know, in the middle of the night. That's mile 78, Rucky Chucky River Crossing. And my good friend and uh, really successful runner, Casey Lichtai, came down there. And she wanted, she wanted to quit. She was like, I'm done. I, she was having stomach problems. She, she just didn't, she, she had had a lot of stuff going on in her personal life. She was kind of not really in, engaged mentally. And she sat there for like 45 minutes, maybe longer, you know, and her pacer was trying to talk her out of quitting and her coach was trying to talk her out of quitting. And I was trying to talk her out of quitting and, and she was hearing none, of, none of it. I mean, but nobody was going to let the person come in and take a wristband off. And so Stephanie Case came in, mutual friend. And Stephanie's got a great, wonderful, bubbly personality. And she was she had had her crew bring like a McDonald's sandwich and some French fries. And she's eating McDonald's and French fries. And Casey's watching her. And Stephanie's like, come on, Casey, let's just get on the boat with me. Come on, let's just go down and just let's just take the boat across the river. And Casey stood up and, and went down to the river. She's like, all right, all right I'm just going to drop out on the other side, but fine, I'll get on the boat with you. Well, one thing led to another and Casey got on the boat and got across the river, made the climb up to Roby Point. So I left the river and, and you know, went back up and, and it was, you know, then I kind of, you know, hauled ass back to the finish line and uh, got a little, you know, got a couple hour nap and, and then went up to, went up to the announcer's booth. And, you know, usually I go up there about 15 minutes before before 5 a.m. to just kind of transition and say hi to Lisa and John and find out how the evening's gone. And, and, uh, and I look on the little tracker and there's Casey. Casey's coming. Casey is coming. She, she might even break 24, which no one thought she would after waiting, you know, sitting at the river for an hour. So we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. And, and it's like, well, no, she cleared Roby point, but she only had 10 minutes to go. So, so John said, well, Andy, um, I think the first runner you're going to get to call is going to be Casey. And I'm going to give you the mic right now because I'm going to go down and greet her in person. 
And it was almost like a mini golden hour because so many people know Casey. She has such a bubbly, engaging personality. John left the booth, went down to you know present her with her medal. I had my first announcing gig and I was like, now on the track with exactly 24 hours expired. She's she missed it by she missed it by two minutes. She ran 24 hours and zero minutes. I mean, and two minutes and zero seconds. And oh my gosh, it was just, it was just incredible. And and Stephanie, who had gotten ahead a little bit ahead of her over the, that 20 mile stretch, was there to greet her. John was there to greet her. Um, aside from those golden hour moments, that was certainly one highlight. And then I, I, I would be remiss in not mentioning the 10th time I finished, which was in 2014. I had all three of my children there to see me finish. I had my mom and dad there to see me finish. I had my best friends, Craig, the race director, Scott Wolf, who paced me and, and Brian Powell, who had paced me and been along all there right at the finish line when I finished my tent um, in 19, 19 hours and something. It wasn't my best, but it wasn't my worst. And uh, and I got that that super special 10-day belt buckle for finishing uh, 10 times and all under 24 hours. And that was probably shy of the birth of my three kids and my wedding day, probably the one of the best days of my life. So those two uh, probably are some of the best memories. And, and you know what? The race is, as we're recording this, the race is just about a little less than three weeks away. And uh, there's 369 more memories out there to be made this year. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I've got I'm a, I've got a couple more questions, and but a, and after we get through, I'm gonna tell you a quick story about Craig, how how I met him. It'll make you laugh, probably. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but anyway, so uh, so I, I mentioned earlier in the in the beginning that you're a podcaster. Now I know you have been a part of some other podcasts, but you've got your own podcast now called Crack a Brew with AJW, right? That's and, right. Yeah. And uh, I've listened to quite a few of them and you have some awesome guests. So just tell us a little bit. I'm not one of those people that is competitive like that. I love to support because I love to listen to them on my long runs, not not on trails. But if I'm doing a long run on pavement, then I'd, I like to listen to podcasts. So tell us a little bit about your podcast and, you know, what is, you know, what your uh, theme is or whatever. Yeah, I got a funny story, actually. Uh, I was at the Western States Lottery way back in 2010. And as I was leaving, uh, Don Freeman, uh, who, who most people know is, as one of the voices of Trail Runner Nation, kind of came up came up beside me and said, uh, hey, hey, AJW, um, we're, uh, my, friend, my friend and I are starting a podcast. It's going to be called Trail Runner Nation. And I, I'd love for you to be on it. And I said, Don, what the heck's a podcast? (laughs) (laughs) Mind you, this was 2010. So he explained what a podcast was. And I was like, sure, I'll come on that. Well, of course, we now know Don Don Freeman and Scott War are the two are the two voices of Trail Runner Nation. And um, and for the last eight or nine years, I've been a I guess you could say a frequent guest on Trail Runner Nation, you know, every Every month or two, they they have me on. We do we do funny things. We do uh, training related things. We I just you know they they just like having me on, and I just I, I like being on. And and so about two years ago, um, it was really Scott who started this. He's like, 
AJW, have you thought of doing your own podcast? And I was like, at the time, no, I hadn't, hadn't really thought about it before. He's like, I really, I really think it, it could be good. I really think you could, you could have like a little niche in the podcast world. And so we kind of put it, put it aside. And then, and then a year later, I said, okay, I, I, I have an idea, you guys. How about we do this? How about I invite a guest on and they have to share a beverage with the audience and I'll be drinking a beverage. Could be a beer, could be a cup of coffee, could be, uh, you know, a, a special seltzer water, could, could be anything. Uh, Jason Green came on my podcast a couple months ago with Moonshine. You know, <laughs> he's from he, he's from down in the South and uh, he, you know, grew born and raised in Bristol, Virginia, and he brought a cup of moonshine onto, onto the podcast. So, so that was a year ago. And then I was like, I got busy with stuff. And finally, um, you know, and Don and Don and Scott said, so this is interesting. My, my podcast crack a brew with AJW is actually, uh, an affiliate podcast of trail runner nation. Okay. It's, um, you know, similar to how the ringer in sports has a lot of different podcasts or the the podcast that Malcolm Gladwell is on is part of the Pushkin family of podcasts. So my podcast is part of Trail Runner Nation family. And so I, I I'm fortunate enough to benefit from all of the expertise of of Trail Runner Nation, their their editing, their the the the, the ways in which they do podcasts. And so I started it. I started it back in um in uh early uh in in early mid-February. And uh, I decided to at first do do eight episode seasons um, where I invite a guest on. They they have a beverage and we talk about running and life. Uh, the, I suppose the niche is that there are that they bring a they bring something to drink, and I also will try to find something that I have in common with the athlete. So when Courtney DeWalter was on. Uh, she had been had a career in education before she became a professional runner. When Jim Walmsley was on, we have Phoenix, Arizona in common. When Anton Krupichka was on, we talked about gravel cycling and so forth. So, um, and so we're now 14 episodes in. Uh, most recent one was with Dean Carnassus. It's uh, no, no, sorry. The most recent one was with Carl uh, Carl Meltzer. The one before that was in, with Dean Carnassus, and so. We've got two more episodes in season two, and then I'm going to take a little break, uh, kind of going into Western states. But it's been really fun to do, and uh, and I enjoy it, and and I think the listeners, uh, I think the listeners enjoy it. So um, give it a listen. Crack a brew with AJW wherever you get your podcasts, or you can just go to our website, crackabrewwithajw.com, and and listen to all the episodes going all the way back to that that first one with Courtney back in February. And I will share the uh, links to that in my show notes too. That'd be great. That'd be great, Marty. Thank you. Yes, sir. And so uh, I mentioned earlier also that you're a coach. And so you still are actively coaching athletes. You said you had some that were doing states this year. Is that mm-hmm. Yep. I Yep. I coach for CTS, uh, which is a coaching company out of uh, Colorado Springs. Um we have a group of about 12 ultra running coaches, uh, coach all abilities, all interests, all ages. Um, I have a particular, I would say niche since I'm an older athlete, uh, for the older athletes, you know, the 50, 50 years and over athletes. Um, we have a variety of different, uh, coaching packages that, that people can, they can do month to month. They can do a whole year. 
Uh, they can get a, a select level, a premium level. Uh, and yeah, this this year I have five five athletes in Western states. Uh, they're all really excited. They're three weeks away from the the big dance, um, and and they range from a, 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 an athlete that if if he has a great day, he could probably break twenty hours uh, to athletes that are just hoping to you know finish during the golden hour. And yeah. and and all of them do think of it as as I'm sure you will when you get in, Marty, as like a once in a lifetime opportunity because it's so hard to get into these days that you know when when you get in when you finally when your name finally gets picked, you really it probably makes sense to hire a coach and you know someone who can who knows the course, who knows how to heat train, who knows how to you know advise your crew and your pacers on what they should do. So uh, I love it. I love coaching athletes. I love coaching all, all abilities, all experiences. Uh, and it's a lot of fun. So you could just go to see, people could just go to um, trainright.com. Trainright.com is the CTS website. You can read about all our coaches and all our packages there. It's a, it's a lot of fun. I really enjoy it. Okay. And the best places to follow you would be, I know your Instagram, I'll share that, but uh, I run far. I'll share the yep. link. Yeah. Yep. Uh, share the link to Iron Far. I'm on Twitter also at 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 a, at a Jones Wilkins Instagram at a Jones Wilkins. I run far. My column is called AJW's Tap Room, uh, and I have a, 11 and a half years worth of stuff on there. I started writing it uh, in 2010, and um, it comes out uh, three Fridays a month, uh, and it has a beer review at the end. Those are fun to read. Um, and so j- just last week, uh, I did my Western States review. So a lot of what we talked about earlier, as well as some intriguing stories in this year's race that, that like we've talked about the condition of the course, uh, some potential golden hour finishers, um, and things like that. So if, if people want to go check that out, it's at irunfar.com and it's called AJW's Taproom. Yeah. Great. Well, I did good, man. I got my time right. And I just want to say, man, it has been a real pleasure to talk to you. I loved the conversation. I could talk for hours and hours about what we've been doing, but I'm glad we we made the time just right. And so uh, thank you so much for your time. Marty, thank you. And and I will uh, I will be sure to, to listen back to some of the episodes you've done. I know you had uh, on Miles with Marty, you too had Dean Carnassus on and uh, Yep. You had John, you had John Kelly, I think, uh, after, ba- after Barkley. Yep. So I, I'll, I'll, thanks for tipping me off to miles with Marty. I, and, and I, and by the way, can't wait to meet you in person out at, out at Michigan bluff at Western States. It's going to be, it's going to be an incredible weekend. Yeah. Same here. All right, Andy. Well, I'll all right. Hey, Marty, thank you. Thank you very much. This was a pleasure and I, I enjoyed being on, uh, thanks for the, thanks for inviting me. Same here. Hope to see you in a couple weeks. Yep. See you in a couple weeks. Bye-bye. Take care. Wow. Got to love the passion from that guy, huh? Really enjoyed talking to Andy. I'm going to go ahead and jump right into the interview with Craig Thornley. I uh, started out a little prematurely without before my introductions, just because the conversation that we had, I thought was kind of funny and entertaining. So I left it in there, but uh, you'll see quickly enough who I'm talking to and what his role is. I hope you enjoy. I don't know if you remember when we met at Black Canyon. Do you remember that? Oh yeah. At Bumblebee. Yeah. Yeah. You had no idea who I was. It was great. (laughs) I told Andy that story the other day. I said, yeah, I was sitting there gushing and gushing about steak. (laughs) Because Craig said he had run it like eight times or something like that. 
<laughs> he never told me he was the stinking race director. <laughs> I found out yeah, later. Sometimes, yeah, so, sometimes I reveal it uh, <laughs> fairly quickly, but most times I, I don't. And I, and I, I kind of get honest, uh, you know, opinions of the race. Sometimes people change what they say once they know who I am. So I like to just hear what they have to say. But I don't try to entrap people, but I I don't immediately <laughs> say, you know who I am? I'm a big deal. I'm right. a I, I don't, I generally don't do that. But you, you, that, you were fun. Yeah, because you were definitely gushing over the race. So it was, yeah. it was cool. <laughs> Well, that part hasn't changed. I have gotten a lot closer to that goal. I have completed a couple hundreds now. Wow. And so, uh, but I've got my, those first two were not uh, st- ticket. I didn't earn any tickets, but I've got two on my schedule. Havelina coming up in October and also uh, Long Haul down in Florida are both ticket earners. So, so I'm hoping to uh, earn my way into that lottery. Cool. Well, I will be time. at Havelina and I will, I will cheer you on. All right. That's a really fun race. I don't know if you've been to that race yet. No, I haven't. I'm excited about it. I did a podcast episode last year previewing it, and I've got a lot of good friends that have done it, like five or I've got the jacket for doing, like, what, five finishes or whatever. And so I'm excited about getting out there and enjoying that. Well, let's get this party started so I won't hold you up. Pastor, you probably got some good, uh, snow to go try to melt or whatever, shovel. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome to the Miles with Marty podcast. I've got the race director for Western States, Craig Thornley, on the line today. Welcome, Craig. Thanks, Marty. Uh, excited to be here with you. Yeah, it's my pleasure, man. As as I told you offline, <clears throat> I get to be there this year for the first time in person, and I am super excited about that. Uh, I just am, you know, as you know, when we met back at Black Canyon, you're in year and a half ago, I think it was, you saw how passionate I am about that race. And it is my bucket list. I I used to be a road runner and Boston qualifying was all I did, you know, as far as I'd spring out of bed every morning to work hard to try to get there. And as soon as I saw my first YouTube video, the week that COVID shut the world down of Western States, my goal quickly that quickly surpassed my BQ goal is to get into Western States. Wow. Um, well, I'm, uh, it's good to hear that you're coming to Western States this year and working with Tanya. I assume you're going to be doing foot care at Michigan Bluff. Is that yep. what you're doing? Yep. I'm going to be fixing feet. All right. She gets <laughs> a lot of people. She helps a lot of people get to the finish line. Uh, she does a valuable service to the runners. Yes, and she is very passionate and knowledgeable about foot care, among many other things. And uh, so I'm excited to learn from the best. Cool. Well, so I've got Craig. I'm doing an episode previewing states. I had uh, Andy Jones Wilkins as my guest the other day. And so your uh, talk will come in uh, alongside of his. And, you know, you know, Andy very well. I'm sure he is very passionate also about the race and uh, he is just a wealth of knowledge. And so, you know, I kind of wanted to talk to you first, you know, to kind of hear, you know, how you, your passion grew for the race and what puts you in your position. And then we'll talk about some particulars of the course. If that's okay. Yeah, no problem. So, so um, starters, just tell us, yeah, you know, how you got int- introduced to the race and and your first time to experience it and all that good stuff. Yeah, so my my parents had moved us. My my stepdad and mom moved us from the Bay Area 
which is San Francisco Bay Area, to cool California when I was in seventh grade. Cool happens to be where Auburn Lake Trails is. Auburn Lake Trails is the 85-mile aid station for Western State. Uh, my brother and I were loving playing in the in the canyon every day. We were on the river, and just we just spent so much time outside. And we were camping right on the trail uh, in 1978 and had no idea that we were um, <laughs> in the middle of a, of a race course. Uh, so a runner comes by and, and a very dirty runner and asked us where the aid station was. And we had no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> and that kept happening. And pretty soon we we realized fairly quickly, we realized, oh, my God, these people had started running in uh, Olympic Valley. And they were they were headed to Auburn. And we were just a couple miles short of the Auburn Lake Trails aid station. So that's how we found out about the race. It was a total accident. Um and then I started working with my brother and my mother at an aid station up higher, Dusty Corners, which is mile 38. And I did that for uh, about 10 years. Uh, I was mostly a high school cross country and track runner. And then I got onto the roads and I, you know, I kept coming back to Western States to work at Dusty Corners. And, and my friends there would ask, hey, when are you going to run Western States? I said, I'm not ready running hundred miles is, is for old people and I'm still mm-hmm. young and, and I thought I was fast. In retrospect, I wish I had started running Western States earlier, but I started the same year as AJW. 2001 was my first year. Um, and yeah, I started, um, started racking up finishes. It was a lot easier to get in back then. And I had a couple sponsor spots. I had a couple top 10 spots and a couple lucky lottery spots so that's how i got into the that's how i got exposed to the race and started running so what made it well i mean you living in the area you know it's just a beautiful area and all that but when you first experienced those runners coming through when you were camping could you tell uh like the reverence then that the race held with the people participating in it i, I don't know if i if i noticed that but what my brother and i recall is we saw the the look in their eye, in addition to being just really dirty, uh, <laughs> we saw this look in their eye, like this distant look in their eye. And we had never experienced anything like that or never got to that point, but we both knew, holy cow, we want to experience whatever they were experiencing. <laughs> so on that first night, we never really, I never felt the reverence for it. It wasn't until I got into uh, working at Dusty Corners where, where I really felt that. Uh, that connection that many people have to the, to the race and the runners, many, many of them, many of the volunteers are not runners at all. And it may have been more true back then. Um, that's, that's where I, that's where I, um, I saw that attraction to, uh, to the trail and to the race. And just, uh, just, it's, it's amazing how many, how many people this race affects. Um, it's, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. And it's even for the people, like you say, that are volunteers that aren't runners, don't it hold a similar attraction to them, even though they are, may not be interested in running it one day? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They they care about their runners. They care about their role in the race. Um, absolutely. You don't have to be a runner to, to be pulled into the Western States family or just the allure of, of the whole event and trail. Yeah. 
So you said some of your races that you did, you got in by lottery. So what was what was the last year that you got in via lottery? You remember? Uh, uh, must have been. It was probably two thousand two. So my second year, I think, was the last. So maybe maybe it could have been two thousand four, and then I ended up getting top ten. I was tenth male in two thousand four. So I I had a top ten spot for two thousand five, and then I got another top ten spot. Um, so I think it was two thousand four was probably the last. So do you remember? Do you remember back then about how many, what your odds were about how many people tried to get in that race? Oh yeah, oh yeah. There used to be this two-time lottery loser rule. So if you were in the lottery for two times, you automatically got in the third time. So the you you can imagine how fewer runners there were back then. Otherwise, you'd be completely overwhelmed. Yeah. With uh, with with automatics now, it was about two to one. Okay. So your odds were somewhere around 50%, which, which is very different now um, because you expected to get in when it was 50%, you expected to get in. So the, the disappointment, if you didn't get selected was, was real and, and palpable at the, at the lotteries. Now that a first year applicant has somewhere around one or one and a half percent chance of getting in, you don't expect to get in. So the disappointment is not as widespread and as hard. So in many ways, I mean, I know it frustrates people that they that they have to wait so many years to get to the race. But but it is a it, it was very different back then. You 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 expected to get drawn when it's fifty percent, or at least I did, and I know I wasn't the only one. Yeah, and so if I understand correctly, so let's say this year's drawing, I will have one ticket from Havelina, assuming that I finish. So if I don't make the drawing and I didn't do any other races the following year, I would have two tickets in the next year. Is that right? Yeah, you ha- you'd have to qualify for the next lottery and apply for the next lottery in order to double your tickets. They don't just double automatically. You have to qualify and enter a lottery. So, so you have year, to do another Western States qualifying race. Exactly. Yep. Every year <laughs> you got to do every lottery that you want to apply to. You have to run a new qualifier. Oh, okay. Yeah, which is one of the reasons why we we still have 100Ks as qualifiers instead of just 100 milers, so that you don't have to run a 100 miler every year. You can you can uh, you can maintain your your lottery tickets by by running 100K. Yeah. Okay. So so for example, so if I did a 100 miler the second year, I would have three tickets, double on the first one, and the- no, no, it doesn't work that way. So you oh. get. You get one ticket your first year, two tickets for your second year, four tickets on your third year, um, and then keeps doubling like that. Regardless of the number of qualifiers that you run. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. It doesn't matter how many qualifiers in a qualifying period. One is as good as 10. And that's a common, okay. it, it's a common mis, uh, misconception. Is it? <laughs> hey, I ran, I ran, I ran 300 miles last year. I think. Well, congratulations, but you still, you still got one ticket. One ticket, yeah. Well, that yeah. makes me feel better, so I don't have to run like ten hundred miles every year. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> just, just one. Because <laughs> I, I actually thought about, you know, I definitely that was what my belief was, and so I was thinking I've got to do at least three a year. No, to keep my eyes at at fifty seven years old, you know. No, to I'm, I'm glad I'm telling you this now, so you don't <laughs> waste all your hundred miles. I think the body. For most of us, we have a finite number of hundred milers in our body. You know? Right, right. Um, we don't well, want people. Unless your name is like Andrew Glaze, that dude is crazy. He runs like 
every week is almost it seems like there there are a few outliers but for the for most of us it's uh, <laughs> it's, it's a finite amount that our bodies can handle and the training up to it right pretty taxing on the body right okay so you ran it how many finishes did you have eight is that what you said Tell me. i had eight um before i became the race director in 2013 and then i ran as the race director in 2017 and ran my slowest time by seven hours um but i got my ninth finish so so now i'm sitting on nine and we get we have a special buckle for 10 finishes um i won't run my 10th while i'm race director that's just not going to happen again yeah. that was a, a crazy thing to try to do um <laughs> it was really hard to do it so did, um, yeah did i see that your ninth finish was during the golden hour it sure was 2911. And so what was that like for you? <laughs> oh my God, it was so good. I got to experience it. I I my slowest before that was 22 hours. Most most of mine, well, half of them were under 20 hours, and then half were 20 hours to 22 hours. Yeah. And I'd always finished in the dark, right? 11 p.m. to I don't know, 2 2 a.m. Yeah. And and the tracks pretty quiet the town of auburn it's pretty quiet at that time of the night uh but the golden hour wow i come into to come into auburn here after roby point i live right i live a half mile from the finish line and the town was awake <laughs> and there were so many more people uh at 10 in the morning than there were at, at midnight the night before so it was really really fun and just just being a being with being in a different part of the pack for me was a was a really good experience. I got to I got to see the aid station volunteers it, after they had been up for all night or however many hours for the whole field, and they were still as enthusiastic and ready to help runners. Maybe even more so than uh, than the earlier front pack or middle of the pack, and that was a, that was really awesome to see. So it was probably very enlightening for you as race director to see that part of it, because by then, that late in the game, you're probably back closer to the finish line. Right? Oh, I was I was really close to the to the end. Yes, I, I had I, I think there were 50 people behind me. Uh, we get generally we get about one a minute in the in the golden hour, and I was 29:11, and that that proved to be accurate that year too. So yeah. I was I was close to the end, but. But there were, um, you know, quite a, in time-wise, I was close to the end, but there were 50 people behind me. Yeah. Well, I know I have, you know, since streaming has come along, I've, I've watched, like last year, I watched the Golden Hour stream live, and I sat there for a solid hour and sobbed for every story that came around that track. And, you know, I've run the New York City Marathon a couple of times, and there's one spot where you come across that bridge into Manhattan and you've got, you know, seems like 40, 50,000 people cheering for you by name. But I would trade that in a heartbeat for that feeling of of coming onto that track, man. That's there is no better. But even just feeling it, experiencing it through video, through streaming, you know, I can I just can't wait till I get to experience it in person this year. It's uh it's it, yeah, it it's obviously awesome for the runners who finish. But it's it's equally as awesome, or maybe maybe more so from a different perspective. If you're if you're watching it, uh, it's it is it is really cool. And I, I've said it most of the pre-race briefings that I've conducted, 
maybe all of them, that this world would be a better place if everybody experienced <laughs> the golden hour at Western States. Yeah. I'm getting emotional right now talking about it. I mean, yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> right. It's- and, and the fact in our sport that so many of the front runners come out and not only just support those people that have been out there fighting for 30 freaking hours, they don't just support them. They lift them up, you know, and uh, that's, that's so incredible. I mean, it, I'm, I'm getting emotional talking about that because. Yeah. When, when Gunhild Swanson was the last finisher in whatever it was, two, 2016 or 2014, somewhere around there uh, as a 70 year old woman, one day shy of her 71st birthday, she, she finished with six seconds to spare. Uh, Rob Crar, who had won the race in you know under 15 hours, he ran her in the last bit from Roby Point. Yeah, uh, that's that's yeah, that doesn't happen anywhere else. That that was that was one of the best moments that that I have of Western States, and I have a lot of great memories. But <laughs> Rob Crar running running Goonhild in, and she finishes with six seconds to spare. Holy yeah. cow! AJW said the other day that that last mile for her was like a seven thirty mile too. <laughs> yeah, she was running fast. She she had no choice. You know she she was on she was on the bubble there. Yeah, man, that's yeah. awesome. She got it done. Yeah, it was awesome. Okay, so what what puts you in the position to go from uh, enjoying being a runner to a race director? Of this is there like a board of directors for this too that you become a part of before you become a director or how does a person apply for that job <laughs> uh yes we're a, we're a nonprofit organization with a board of directors that uh we have 15 members right now i am not a board member i'm i'm hired by the board of directors to okay. be the race director slash executive director of the organization uh when this job became available. I wasn't, I, I wasn't planning on being a race director. I have degrees in computer science and it's it pretty easy to make enough money in computer science. And I, I could work part-time and play a whole lot, run a whole lot. Uh, so I, I was ha- happy with my career. I, I, I thought I might end up on the board of directors because I'm so passionate about Western States. I've blogged about it a lot. Um, but there were two uh, two things that happened. Tim Tweetmeyer asked me. Tim Tweetmeyer is twenty five time finisher. He was he was president at the time, or right, maybe right before uh, Greg retired. And he said, "Hey, have you ever thought about being the race director?" And I, uh, no. <laughs> and then Greg Sutherland, my predecessor in two thousand eleven, he came up to me on Friday before the race up in Olympic Valley. And he, he had also directed American River 50 and way too cool. He owned those races and he sold them to this local race director here. And it was, it was, it was common, um, I guess, belief or expectation that that same director would get the Western States job, but it wasn't, it wasn't Greg's to sell or appoint the race director. It was the board. So I ended up applying for the job and I ended up getting it and <laughs> move from, uh, I was living in Eugene, Oregon with my wife at the time. And we, we moved to Auburn. This was about 10 years ago now. And yeah, I, that, that's how I got it. It was not my intent ever 
to have a career as race director. Um, I don't work part-time anymore. I work full-time. It's a lot harder to make money this way than it is to, to be a computer science guy, but it's, it's a, it's a pretty damn incredible job. I, and I get to work with so many really talented, incredible people and in so many different aspects and, and in their expertise, it's, um, it's, it's, it's a really fulfilling job, even though at times it's, it's quite challenging and frustrating. And, you know, I feel the, I feel the pressure of how important this event is to so many people, not just the runners, but, but the volunteers. And I, I feel that pressure at times. Um, so far I've, I'm, I thrive on that pressure. Uh, but I, I imagine at some point I'm going to be ready to step down and, and let the next uh, race director come and, and take the, take the event to its you know next phase, wherever it, wherever it ends up. Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be quite fulfilling to have to to direct an event that that not just every participant, but everyone involved, the spectators and everything, just are just so happy, and it's like a bucket list item just to be there, you know. And so that's got to be quite fulfilling to be a part of that and, and to help give that experience to those people. Absolutely, yeah. I can't, I can't wait to be there and to feel that energy. And that's going to be awesome. So you've got a couple of, uh, I talked to Andy already about the field, you know, the runners have got all that information. The course, you've got some challenges this year because you got a lot of snow still on the ground and you also had a, a fire last fall. So uh, just talk a bit, a little bit about the challenges of the things that you're dealing with for the next couple of weeks to try to make it as runnable and as, uh, accessible for the aid stations that you have to do the challenges that you're up against yeah so last uh september um the mosquito fire burned 16 miles of our course and it was it was pretty devastating to a couple communities michigan bluff where you're going to be working uh, many many homes were destroyed there uh for, fortunately the the homes where our aid stations our aid station is and and some of our other friends there, their homes didn't burn, but but you, you'll see it. There's a home that survived, and the trees are green around it. And then right next to it, it's nothing but a chimney. I mean, it, it was it was really really hard on the communities. But we thought, oh my goodness, this is going to be our challenge for this year: uh, getting that trail, uh, all the hazards mitigated um, in time to have these events. And that was that in itself was a big lift. Uh, we we managed to spend a lot of money and a lot of volunteer hours to get the trail ready, um, and we, we still are doing it. But then we had this big winter uh, where we had sixty inches of rain fell on the burn scar in Forest Hill area. That's five feet of water, which is a tremendous amount of water to go over over soils that don't have anything to hold it together. So there there's a there was a lot of damage from the atmospheric river storms that dumped all that rain, but there was a historic snowfall and there were lots of comparisons to our other two big years, 1995 and 1983 on how much snow fell and how much snow is going to be up here. Um, Fortunately, the, the spring wasn't like 83 where we kept getting snow in, into June, all the way into the middle of June, we kept, we kept increasing the snowpack. Our snow has been melting. Our pack has been melting, but it it hasn't 
released its grip on the trail and runners are going to be running on snow. That's, that's not really a, a big uh, problem uh, for, for most runners. Maybe, maybe it'll, it'll slow them down a bit, but, but we can run on, we can run on snow and we're on ridge tops up high. So it, it melts out. It won't be just continuous snow, but the, the harder part is, is us getting access to do the trail work. Uh, Michigan, I mean, Robinson flat, which is mile 30 is where we start our training run over Memorial weekend where we were in the final 70 miles over three days and the County got the road plowed to Robinson flat Friday before our training run on Saturday. So wow. we were close to, to, to get to getting the road plowed in time for the, for the training runs. And we're in a similar situation right now. Uh, we can't get around uh, to the higher country aid stations yet because the snow is holding, um, holding on. And we also had one of our major access roads, Mosquito Ridge Road, uh, was damaged by the rain. And so that road is closed right now to the public. And it's still in a, in a state of, um, it's going to fall, more of it's going to fall into the canyon. So it's not, it's not something you want to drive. Right. Um, but that has also complicated this uh, access for us. So we got as high as uh, 27 miles. We've, we've worked on everything from 27 miles down to the finish, but we're um, we're trying to get up into those first 27 miles here in the next 17 days. And uh, yeah, it's um, it's going to come down right to the right to the wire. Yeah, but but I got a lot of people who are raring to go and we've done this before in 2017 and 2019 so we'll, we'll get up and and shovel snow off the roads uh we've hired we're in the process of hiring a contractor to help us plow one of the roads um so we, we're we're going to be working really hard and as long as we don't have more storms um it's going to be tight but i think we're going to we're going to be able to get up into those higher uh eight stations and and log out and and get supplies in for race day. Yeah, awesome. Well, I I know you've been busy and organ- arranging all that and participating in all that. So I sure appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. I kind of expected you to tell me that you didn't have time, but I figured it wouldn't hurt to ask. Well, I was a little slow on the reply, but I I I, I definitely wanted to talk to you, Marty. I I, I don't like to say that I'm too busy. I think this is, this is important. And, and I, I love your enthusiasm for the race. I loved it when I met you at Bumblebee. Uh, so I, I, I wasn't going to say no to you unless, unless it absolutely couldn't happen. So I'm cool. pleased to be here chatting with you. All right. Yeah. I appreciate it. So do you have any, uh, do you get involved in the, as far as the runner field, do you, are you allowed to talk about like who you think the projected top five would be, male or female, or is that? Do you well, have I'm allowed. I'm allowed to do that, but I don't do that as a matter <laughs> of course. No, I, 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 friends with so many of the runners. I, I, I've met many of the of the elites this year, the new elites, and mm-hmm. I want everybody to have a great day, and and I look forward to to um to watching the competition and. You know, somebody's going to win. Somebody's going to get seconds. <laughs> the top ten will happen, and we'll be happy for them. And 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 those who have uh, not the day that they planned, you know, they'll just have to come back, or you know, hopefully they'll still have a have a fulfilling day, and they can appreciate 
and, and respect those who ran faster than them. But I'll leave that. I'll leave the prognostications to AJW and Finn Melanson and, and, and Dylan Bowman, those, those, those types. Yeah. Well, AJ was quick. AJW was quick to pull out a top 10 male and female without even having to use any notes. He's, he, <laughs> he was very well prepared. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he's good at that. Well, well again, yeah. I appreciate the time. I, I promised I wouldn't hold you too long. And so you may have some uh, snow to shovel or trenches to <laughs> dig or whatever, but, uh, but I am sure grateful that I got to talk to you and, and I look forward to seeing you in, in a couple of weeks now. And just, uh, for selfish reasons. So are there things that people like me as a fan of the race and the sport can attend or go to like in the days, cause I'll be getting into town on Thursday. Are there things that I can participate in to where I can just enjoy the vibe of the race or do you have to be a runner? No, absolutely. We're, we're open to, to everybody. Uh, there's clinics on Thursday. There's a crewing clinic. There's some other, other, talks with indigenous peoples uh there is a legends fireside chat that hoka is putting on and they've invited some old old time runners who ran the race years decades ago and uh, that's going to be in olympic valley on thursday evening and that should be really fun for you uh, it'll be informal and you'll be able to chat with 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 people who ran the race 10 or 20 or 30 or 40, 50 years ago, maybe used Aunt Jemima water, <laughs> Aunt Jemima bottles for their water with duct tape. Wow. Wow. Um, um, and then, yeah, Friday, there's a, a, a high camp challenge that Hoka does. Um, normally it goes up to the escarpment on the first climb, but because there's construction, uh, I'm not sure exactly what the course is going to be yet, but that's open to everybody on Friday. Only a few runners actually run it um but but we had like mike wardian of course he has to do every run that there is so he ran the he ran the hoka high camp challenge and then he ran the race the next day but that, that's open to the public and the expo is open to the public on friday uh, the pre-race briefing at 2 p.m is open to the public um yeah there's lots to do all right marty good chatting with you okay man thanks a lot you have a wonderful day and see you in a couple of weeks yeah, bye-bye. Okay, that's a wrap for my Western States preview episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with others. Give it a review, subscribe, all that good stuff. And also, I'm going to be there next week. So if you happen to be there or know somebody's going to be there, come by and see me. I will be at the Expo uh, in the Squirrel's Nut Butter booth on Friday morning from 8 till 1 o'clock, roughly. And then I will be at the Michigan Bluffs aid station with Tanya Olson fixing feet, which is roughly mile 55, I believe. And so uh, I hope to see some of you awesome runners there. And uh, I'll be glad to touch your feet and rub, rub them, pop blisters, whatever I need to do. And uh, cheer for everyone. So uh, until next time, have a great day. I want to sincerely thank you for running your miles with Marty today. I know there's a lot of choices out there, and it means a lot to me that you chose to run or ride with me. I hope you enjoyed the show. If so, give us a review. Hit that subscribe button and spread the word, just like that running community love. 
We're on social media at Miles with Marty Podcast, and you can email us at Miles with Marty Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks again to our sponsor, Squirrels Nut Butter. Spread the lube at squirrelsnutbutter.com. Yeah.